Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. Yes, sir, reading it loud and clear. Clear, clear, clear. The clock has started. The clock has episode of our podcast. Today we are going to interview some of the greatest and most influential minds in our field. By sharing our collective expertise, we will show you how to harness, control, and use your own skill set to achieve ultimate success and live the life you want. And now, please welcome your host. Welcome to this week's Smallest Cast podcast. This podcast is designed for small government contractors, service providers, and manufacturers as part of the government contractor ecosystem, connecting people, organizations, and resources. Um, I'm your host, Just Nate, and this week we do not have DK. We have Chris England with us. Welcome, Chris. Hey, glad to be here. That doesn't sound very convincing. Okay. Glad Smile. To, yeah, glad to be here. There you go. People can thanks. tell it's radio. They can tell you're smiling. Th- thanks, Nate. There you go. On the phone, Chris, we have uh, two individuals from a company called PPE.Exchange. We have Mr. Russ Decker, the C, the co-founder and president and CTO. And we've got Chad Wagner, um, who is the operations, the operations manager of PPE.Exchange. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much Thanks for much. having us. Okay, so... to be here. <laughs> just so we've got a, a sound check here. Okay, so welcome, Russ. That's that's your cue to say well thank you so I can tell your voice so people oh know thank you okay okay yes and then welcome Chad welcome thank you thank you thank you okay I, I can't tell the difference I was gonna say you guys sound really similar they do. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> well cool we're gonna have to pay attention that's right <laughs> dang it that's so tough um okay we'll just we'll get through this uh okay welcome guys to the show um we are here to talk about um you guys as part of being a um part of that ecosystem and and provider um of of tools and equipment to uh the ecosystem so i'll I'll start with russ russ can you give me a, a just a quick two minute overview of what ppe.exchange is does and provides yeah, absolutely. So PPE.exchange was um, founded at the beginning of the pandemic back in March of 2020 to really kind of assist with a lot of the main pain points that the United States was facing um, when acquiring personal protective equipment. Um, and really what we the problems that we aim to solve are automating wholesale transactions and allowing buyers and suppliers a trusted in, or creating a trusted environment for buyers and suppliers to connect and discover each other. Um, and then, can, you know, one other really interesting, so those are, you know, kind of the two two biggest things about the marketplace. And the third pain point that we really solved was uh, the when the COVID pandemic hit, manufacturers jacked up their minimum order quantities. And so a lot of smaller care providers could not place the orders that they once were able to place. Um, with their factories or their GPO allotments or, you know, whatever it may be. 
they, they weren't able to meet those minimums. And so we also designed a system that aggregates all of these little players together, all these smaller care providers to create one purchase order that was then sent to manufacturers, you know, getting them access, not only getting, guaranteeing them access to PPE, but guaranteeing them access at the lowest possible prices. Um, so kind of in a nutshell, that's what PPE exchange is. Okay. It's so a, a trust say, environment. When you say lowest possible prices, that mean at that time, because supply and demand, right? I mean, there's people buying right. 10,000 masks at a time and then selling them on eBay for a hundred dollars a piece when really they're like, should be like three cents a piece or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And so what we would do is basically those people that are buying them one at a time, or, you know, it's a small dental provider or a long-term care facility, or, you know, you name it, they're kind of, they're only buying a case, you know, they're only buying a hundred masks at a time or a thousand masks at a time. And we would take all of those people group them together and then they would submit a purchase order and it would, you know, have the volume of, you know, millions, millions of masks. And so they were getting the same prices through PPE exchange that, you know, some of the largest healthcare providers in the world are buying their PPE at. Um, so, you know, extremely competitive, you know, if, if the, you know, if you see, um, you know, nitrile gloves selling on Amazon for $25 a box of gloves, you're getting them from PPE exchange at 12. You know, almost literally almost 50% cost savings. Now, did you guys, would you guys lock them into a contract or, I mean, I'm assuming you guys would reach out. No. So go ahead. I was going to say, I was just going to, I'll let you finish your question, but I was going to, we did one of the big areas that we feel caused this whole supply chain choke point and single points of failure was long-term contracts. And basically all of these providers had been, or all these care providers had been locked in to long-term contracts for years at a time. So they had nowhere else to look. They didn't have any relationships. They didn't know where to look when their manufacturer or GPO, a group purchasing organization, was telling them, sorry, um, you know, we're out of our allotment for you. And they didn't know where to look. Um, and so we, we felt we really wanted to keep this no, you know, as little contractual obligation um, to PPE exchange as possible. We wanted to keep the supply chains dynamic and nimble um, as they should be. So you just use a new term there, GPO, group purchasing organization. Is is Did you guys actually invent that or has this been a thing out there that I'm just not aware of? No. So this has been a thing, especially in the healthcare space is mainly where you see it. But group purchasing organizations, essentially, um, what they'll do is they're actually, they're $100 billion companies. They're huge. I mean, just the name, Vizient is the largest one. I, their market cap is insane. Their revenue is insane. Um, the, their business model is insane. Everything about it's crazy. Uh, but basically, at the end of the day, what they will do is they will lock in as many buyers into long-term contracts as they possibly can. And then they will go overseas with manufacturers and use these long-term contracts to negotiate the lowest pricing they can. And there is a lot of, um, there's a huge lack of transparency going on in modern day GPOs, what happens. Um, and the, the, the more, I guess what I'm getting at is more savings should be being passed on to those participating in the GPO than actually are. Um, and so there's a lack of transparency, but essentially, you know, they just go with their buyers and negotiate long-term contracts, lock them into agreements, and then take all those contracts and go to suppliers and, uh, and get and use that to leverage pricing down. So what's the, so, so what, what size of businesses are you guys, um, 
kind of targeting? Is it, uh, I mean, it, you say small business, but what is, what's considered small? Yeah. So it's, it, um, it's a great question. And we kind of, um, hit, we kind of provide PPE all across the, for multiple different sizes of care providers. So like I said, we, you know, we'll partner with, um, you know, the Washington Dental Association or North Carolina Senior Long-Term Living, and we'll group all of those small entities together and essentially, you know, create a large entity out of all these smaller entities in, um, for the, in the context of the transaction. But then we will also transact, um, you know, directly at, at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of government contractors, um, specifically like veteran-owned businesses, were coming to PBE exchange to source on their back end. So, you know, they would be awarded their government contract. They wouldn't have a reliable supplier and they would come to us and, you know, we would source uh, quite a bit of PPE for government contractors. Um, and, you know, the sizes of those, I don't know who those businesses, uh, those contracting agencies, were, what contracts they were awarded and who they were providing. But, you know, it's like the, the, defense, the DLA, the Defense Logistics Agency, um, FEMA, um, and then, you know, just counties around the U.S. Hmm. So... It would help if I turn my mic on. Yes, it would. So, <laughs> so you guys are actually so you guys have sold direct to government agencies as well, right? We have we have sold direct to government agencies. So what's been your what what's been your kind of biggest lesson learned in the last year with buy regards to whether paper. it's <laughs> yeah, buy more toilet paper <laughs> with regards to um, <laughs> this just the end to end supply chain you know uh, lessons you've had. Um, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I think the biggest lesson just from the whole COVID pandemic is really, you know, to avoid these situations, it's really important to keep your supply chain limbo, not get yourself locked into long-term contracts. Um, and, you know, so keep your supply chain diverse, I would say is kind of one of the biggest lessons that, um, I learned. And, you know, I think our nation learned throughout this COVID pandemic. And now as far as, um, myself from a developer standpoint and kind of uh, technical piece that what I really took away from this is the fundamental difference between B2 business to business transactions. You know, these are wholesale transactions. It's a lot, lot of dollar amounts being transferred around here. And you don't see a lot of that happening online. And a lot of the reason for that is the existing payment gateways being the places that you go to input your credit card information do not support um, the the complexity that goes into these business transactions, right? I mean, you know, sometimes it's 20% down, 80% on delivery. Sometimes you need to escrow the transaction. Sometimes there's, you know, it's you're paying it off, you know, paying off your bill at $20,000 a month for six months or whatever you need. And that really does not exist Um currently on the internet in an automated transact in an automated fashion like sure you have quickbooks sure you have an erp system enterprise resource planning you know these like sap um, microsoft dynamics all of these other third-party softwares to manage your accounts receivable and your accounts payable but there's no simple way to go on the internet say i want to buy a million masks and i want to pay 20 percent now and 80 percent when i get them um, you, it, will, it always requires an accountant or some level of human human labor to go on the back end and generate that um, invoice and send it. And, you know, there's also a risk management and business intelligence component to that, too. You know, who are, who are you going to give these terms to? Are you going to give these terms to, um, 
you know, some random person, or are you going to give these terms to, uh, you know, United Health Group, United Health Group, you know, a, a very well-established organization. And so I think my, my biggest learning from this whole experience was there's a lot of growth to be had in the B2B e-commerce space as a whole outside of PPE. And, you know, it's, it's applicable to all industries. Is that due to a lack of, is it a lack of platforms or is it a lack of flexibility of existing platforms? Um, that's a great question. I would say it's a lack of, so we, it's a, it's a lack of flexibility on existing platforms because so one mm. of the things that we've really realized, we want to increase, we want to include transparency. Like one of the key goals here is transparency. And by being, by putting everyone in a platform or in a marketplace, you're, you're essentially becoming a software middleman of sorts, um, oh. which just, you know, middlemen inherently, um, reduce transparency. And so we feel that the best way going forward to do this is to create basically modular plugins um, for wholesale channels to, uh, in an automated fashion, create these invoices, manage your net terms, have the ability to escrow, um, you know, all things, things to that nature. It, you know, it, inc- it increases the transparency and, um, and flexibility. And that's, you know, I think those are two really important things. So I want to get back real quick, just rewind back to your lessons learned of, you said, keep supply chain nimble and diverse. I, I, I understand all those words, um, (laughs) (laughs) but trying to, trying to do that, our world has gotten to the point of just in time manufacturing for just about everything. Um, Personally, it drives Mm -hmm. me through the roof. I don't have my own business, so I, I understand where they're coming from. Um, it costs money to keep stuff on the shelf, but from a economy st- standpoint, uh, it, it pretty much took the entire world economy to its knees when people decided to just go crazy and, and buy up everything. So how do you recommend people, um, companies, how, how do you prevent that from ever happening again? Well, that's a great question. I think a lot of that is it, it boils down to keeping keeping your eyes open to your local manufacturers, your local um, your local connections right in in the area. Um, I mean, that's a great way to solve a lot of these problems. Is you know, just if you have a manufacturer in your state that's you know manufacturing these masks. I mean, granted, the cost of labor in the U.S. is just you know way higher than it is in China and Malaysia, where a lot of these PPE products come from. And so, you know, I understand that people will never just switch entirely to um, a U.S. manufacturer. But I think that, you know, just making sure you keep those doors open, spending 10, 15 percent of your spend locally in your area um, can really, really help prevent what, well, what happened. I think um, it's supply and demand, year. too. Right. If, if, if we all as a collective start buying more U.S. based and, and I'll give a call to action to everybody listening to this podcast right now. Go on YouTube and search up Malaysia uh, mask manufacturing and look at what you're putting on your face. <laughs> um, I, I never want to buy any product that's outside the United States again after looking at that. I mean, if that doesn't give you something worse than the COVID, um, I don't know what will. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> Check them out. <laughs> yeah. They're sitting on dirt floors, I mean, putting these masks a, together and packaging them by hand. 
No, I mean, that's a great, that's a great call out. And, you know, it, the mask market is, it, you know, technically mask, surgical masks, um, N95 respirators, nitro gloves. It is a commodity market to some degree where you have all, you know, there's ubiquity amongst the products, but when you really get down to it, um, you know, there is a, there is a level of quality and, um, a differentiator between, you know, a U.S. mask and a mask made in Malaysia or China per se. So do you guys do you guys rely on within the with with within the framework of the logistics uh, supply chain? What do you um, are you guys relying on distributors or distributors that, or the manufacturers' distribution capabilities specifically with regards to surge capability? Um, how do you deal with you know shortfalls in a specific um, product? Um, you know how much backlog have you had to deal with? So, I mean, um, we've had a few really, you, go ahead. One, um, go one ahead. thing that's really great about kind of, uh, using the local manufacturers is, you know, even if they don't have that product or you no know, manufacturer distributor, um, you know, whoever might be operating locally, one great thing is, you know, if they don't have that product, you know, they're in that network. Um, so the, the odds of them knowing somebody or having a connection to get you with, you know, a different type of product than they carry is, is you know, pretty good. Um, a lot of the a lot of the vendors or distributors, manufacturers that we work with, you know, there's been certain situations that have come up. Um, you know, one time we needed Walmart thermometers. Um, you know, we just knew people that could point us in the right direction, and we found connections for those types of products. Um, so that's definitely a huge benefit of kind of using your local manufacturers, distributors, and suppliers. Um, you know, to source your, you know, whatever it is that you need, whether it's PPE or or any products in, in virtually any industry. So I, I'm curious, so what type of, and, and you know, we, we've got a couple minutes here before our break, but let's get it started by saying what type of PE, sorry, PPE and PPE, for those of you out there that uh, don't know what that is, I think, I don't think we've even discussed Pers- that. Personal protective equipment. There you go. Personal protective equipment. Um, what type of PPE do you guys typically focus on? Is it all some, many, multiples, what is it? Yeah, so so it's interesting because being a marketplace, like a lot of manu- a lot of the manufacturers and distributors, they will have kind of one or two products that's their sweet spot um, that they can get you the lowest prices on and it's high quality, et cetera. Being a marketplace, you know, we kind of we have um, we have over five hundred manufacturers and vendors live on the marketplace and like in the network in our network of manufacturers, it's it's over two thousand. Um, they're not all live and have stores on our marketplace, but they participate in RFP requests for proposals um, and other things that PB Exchange does to facilitate these transactions. Um, but we, I mean, we can really, we, because we're a marketplace and we just, we have access to all of these suppliers, they're really, we're pretty consistent across the board. Um, we can, you know, do, I guess to name a couple of products, isolation gowns, Surgical masks, N95 respirators, nitrile gloves, um, thermometers. Mm, Chad, can you think of any other big hitters? Um, test kits, um, you know, COVID. Oh, tests. yeah, COVID test kits. Uh, um, good and one. kind of anything for general protection, you know, along the line of font caps, um, shoe covers, um, you know, cover all. For the most part, if, if PPE is needed, you know, for like a typical day in the medical industry, you know, whether it's surgical, the nurses, um, 
you know, it's very likely that we'll have it available. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick 30 second break. When we come back, we will talk more PPE with the voice from PPE.exchange. Hello, this is James Jordan, founder and CEO of Archer Jordan. We're the leader in providing professionally managed fringe benefit plans to government contractors. Let me ask you a question. Is contract compliance stressing you out? Archer Jordan meets the challenge of ensuring regulatory compliance and maximum cost savings through our flagship program, Aero Contractors Trust. Visit archerjordan.com to schedule a free consultation today. Welcome back to this week's Small Scouts Podcast. This is your host, Just Nate. And on the phone, we have uh, Chad Wagner and Russ Decker from PPE.Exchange. Welcome back, boys. Thank, Thank you. you. So before break, we were talking, uh, kind of walking through what you guys offer, uh, kind of focus on as far as your PPE um, products. And I think you guys were kind of focusing on at least what you guys walked through before the break was um, – medical products, more of PPE medical stuff. Um, and I was kind of curious, do you guys also dip your toes in the construction PPE, hard hats, you know, coveralls, you know, leather gloves? And then do you do anything with military? Um, you know, chest plates, armor, uh, helmets, all the above that they need. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So we, we haven't supplied any of those more um, military or construction-based products, but we have supplied these medical types of PPE to construction and military. Um, so, we ha- yeah, we haven't supplied any, you know, body armor or um, hard hats, but we, we supply, we, you know, we've supplied military organizations and uh, construction agencies, construction firms with with masks, gloves, and gowns. Okay, so you guys are really, right now, at least, it sounds like you guys are focusing on the medical PPE more so than, um, I guess, just the other PPE stuff that's possible out there. I mean, there's a lot of things out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, really really what works, how we are expanding our business is a lot more on the technology side than it is on the PPE product side. Um, and so really in building, you know, like I, like I kind of alluded to earlier, the, my co-founder, Jake Dykeman and I, we are both full on software developers. I mean, Jake Dykeman developed a uh, software consulting firm when he was about 14 years old and sold it when he was in high school. And, you know, I, I've been developing technology for quite a long time myself, working at Mayo Clinic, developing knowledge management systems there. And so what, how we are kind of transitioning post-COVID and beyond the pandemic is uh, kind of what I alluded to earlier with those big, with what my biggest two takeaways were um, from this industry in how hard it is for businesses to do automated B2B payments online. And so that's how we are expanding our company um, and less of expand, expansion into new types of PPE, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're, you're really looking at more of the technology behind doing this capture. I mean, it, it, once the technology is in place, you can add anything, right? I mean, you could, you could. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And the question is, you know, it's it's like, how did two, you know, Jake and I are both 24 years old. How did two tech 24 year olds who really had no experience in the procurement industry build up a massive network that, you know, we partnered with 16 state hospital associations. We provided over 50 million units of PPE, um, with some from some of the biggest overseas manufacturers in the world. And it's, you know, how, 
how did we do that? And the answer is really through the technology that we created. It, it created trust between buyers and suppliers and allowed suppliers to transact with very little fees. And so, you know, we, we recognize that and are going forward and expanding that side, that side of our business. Um, and, you know, and less of, less of the personal protective equipment side. We'll still, we'll always love PPE exchange, but it was really created to help during the pandemic and grow this technology. Now, are you on-prem or are you in the cloud? So we are in the cloud. We're fully in the cloud. Um, we actually use our data store for our systems is blockchain. So we host a private blockchain on AWS where we store all of our suppliers' credentials and all of the agreements that they strike with our buyers through the marketplace. And it, you know, that just allows this extreme level of um, immutability and transparency. So you can't have people going back on their claims. And you know, if they do go back on their claims, you can hold them accountable. Well, so it's it's nice to have two techies on the phone with us for, for a change. Um, I enjoy talking tech. So my next question is, <laughs> uh, are you at all concerned with somebody that owns the cloud just one day doesn't agree with what you your business model and just flipping the switch because you're now you're too big of a competitor to them. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, it's a little bit, I would say it's a little bit conspiracy theorist to think that, you know, a a Amazon web services is going to feel like you're a threat to them and shut down your servers. Um, But I, you know, I totally understand. And I think there is a, there is a situation in which I could see that happening. Um, And, you know, that's, that's actually one of a great reason to use blockchain technology, right? At the end of the day, blockchain technology is a, it creates a shared underlying IT infrastructure to store your data. That doesn't have to be on one cloud. You can store your data across multiple clouds. So if any one cloud provider decides to shut down, you know, they, they say you're too much of a competitor. Um, I don't like what you're doing. You know, maybe they have, I you know, some sort of, I mean, they think something you're doing is wrong, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, by, Having that decentralized, distributed system, IT system, storing your information, you are not beholden to any one, um, any one cloud provider. Exactly, and as long as you're making backups, to, in case you ever you ever need to bring on your on-prem, you could do that. Um, you know, you, you, right. you, you make the comment of it could be conspiratorial, but um, we've obviously just seen it in the past couple months, so um, it could happen to anybody. Um, and that's um, my the customers that I deal with. Um, have actually started that conversation with us as well um, because of the, it was never thought of before. Right. As long as I'm paying my bill on time, why would yeah. you ever touch what I'm doing? Um, so yeah. I think that's, that's something that we all have to consider and, and, and think about uh, as we move forward in the future here, because a lot of most everything is going to the cloud. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the other really major concern there is, you know, what happens when there's an an AWS outage in a certain region, you know, you don't want your whole e-commerce present and all your data and everything powering your business to just go lights out. You know, you want, you need to make sure that that information is distributed and resilient to, uh, to any sort of uh, environmental or system fault in a, in a regional area as well. Nice. So once you guys have the tech uh, kind of in place for to you know to ease the the business to business transactions, uh, where do you guys where do you guys see uh, um, cpp dot uh, exchange going next? 
Yeah, so PPE.exchange will always will always um, provide and help our partners in the hospital and in the care providing industry source their personal protective equipment, but it'll come much more through, you know, we're going to take a less active role in the marketplace and really it'll be a, it'll be a, we'll verify their identities and we'll keep that verification that we had with PPE exchange going. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, we'll just direct directly to our, you know, we're going to help our manufacturers and help all of our partners build a great, build their own individual awesome e-commerce solution so that they don't need a marketplace. And they'll be able to carry this badge of honor being verified by PPE exchange. We'll still have PPE exchange and we'll still direct, you know, we'll still supply all of our hospitals and all of our partners, but you know, we'll, we'll just connect them directly to our partners um, instead of having them go through the marketplace. Oh, excellent. So I want to get back to the business model real quick. So you guys say you guys are kind of focusing on the technology behind it. And, and really uh, the, I a hundred percent agree with that because once you, once you build it out, you, you can um, expand exponentially um, with whatever product there is, right? It doesn't really matter. You guys can move into a whole different realm. Exactly. Not even yeah. be PPE. I mean, it could be, I don't know. You could use the same blueprint popcorn. for anything. Anything, yeah. Yeah, but yeah any, any wholesale transaction. So I'm curious on your end, then what does the business model look like? Do you guys take a little off the top of every transaction then, or how does that work? Yeah, so that that's actually we've heavily debated that, and you know, one of the massive value adds that's we're we're going to be adding as a B two B payments company is is zero transaction fees. And you know, one of the biggest pain points on with internet transactions right now is credit card fees. You know, it's at it's at least two point four two point four percent would be the absolute one of the absolute lowest fees you could pay um, to process a credit card. And typically it's more like 2.9 to 3%. Yeah. And you know, when, and when you're doing wholesale transactions, that's a, that's a ton of money. I mean, when you're moving millions of dollars, those fees become tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and so we do not, we will not have a transaction fee. We'll have a monthly, a monthly service fee to use this type of payment gateway that enables these transactions. Um, but we, we want to incentivize, you know, the large transactions to go through our technology. So we will not have a transaction fee. So how did, I mean, there's still got to be money going back and forth. So are you guys, I mean, did you guys have to work with your, your banks to set something up to where they, you know, would keep it low enough for you guys to be able to, to afford to do this or. Yeah. So the, the big thing here is, is in what's called ACH transactions or bank transactions. Um, which have, which have essentially like a $5 fee, um, to do that. It's, it's like wiring money. It's a digital check that happens instantly uh, or not, you know, within a day, within a day. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're powered by, by Stripe is the payment processor that we're built on top of. And we work very closely with them, um, to keep our fee, to keep that fee extremely low and, uh, allow us to transact, allow our payment gateway to transact large amounts of money. I- you know, maybe someday we'll get in this conversation or I'll have somebody on the, on the podcast that can explain that to me. Uh, the whole, you, you, you kind of chuckled when you said, well, within a day, the, the digital check can be there. Why is it not instantaneous? Mm-hmm. There is zero interaction with humans. It should be computer to computer, ones and zeros. It, it should be fractions of a second. What's going on here? Yeah. It's, it's Uncle Sam, the biggest middleman of them all. 
um, sit, sitting there, you know, managing our financial transactions. It's called ACH technology is, is called automated clearing house. Um, that means that there's still a, a you know, the U S government and, and the, I, I, I don't, I didn't study finances. I don't know all the ins and outs of how it works, but basically there's someone sitting there that's approving and denying your, your check, um, behind the scenes. And, you know, with cryptocurrency, you don't have that, right? That's, that's true instantaneous transaction. From, from a technological standpoint, you're exactly right. It should just be ones and zeros communicating instantly over copper wires, um, but it's not. We, we have uh, our financial system is, is baked in with the middleman, basically. And that's that's, and that's always got my goat. Two things that really frustrate me lately. Um, and only two things, only two things, only two things Nate. Uh, one is that, right? I go to bank my, do my bill pay online with, through my bank and I bank through a very, very large bank. And I'm like, seriously, it's going to take you four days from the time I hit this button to the time you pay this person. What are you cutting off a manual check? Um, which is probably the case. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, so. well, no, it, it's crazy. Well, and I mean, even to just kind of go off of that concept I mean, and, you know, to tie back into what your guys' podcast is all about government contracting. You know what we we actually want we eventually later on in PP exchanges more recently in PP exchange life we started competing and winning direct government contracts and the government would mail us checks just through <laughs> standard mail like they would literally take a million dollars and go put it in one of those like uh, blue bins on the side of the street and we're you know we have suppliers say we have bills say we're like hey government. Where is it? They're like, you know, we, we, we sent it. Hope, you know, check your mail. Like, and there's no tracking, no insurance, no anything. It's insane. It was insane to me. I couldn't believe it. That sounds about right. Welcome. I had to see it yeah. to believe it. Welcome to the government side. But, uh, uh, so number two that gets my goat lately is, uh, so one, how long it takes for, for transactions to happen. That's why I prefer doing online e-commerce, mm -hmm. right? Just like you guys offer. Mm -hmm. uh, but that second one is when you tell me that um, it's going to cost, right? It's going to cost me, well, if you use a debit card, we're going to charge you an extra 10% convenience fee. And I was like, wait a second. Oh, yeah. Is this, can, who's it more convenient for, me, the consumer, or <laughs> you, the person, the owner of the company that doesn't have to hire another body because that's all handled in the cloud by a computer? <laughs> He just yeah. just for, just, yeah. for, just just for the record, Nate is also a guy who complains about self about those self bagging lines at the grocery store. So he, I agree. you know he he keeps insisting that he should be paid by. Well, I I by, don't need to be paid. I just I, I turn in my taxes, right? I, I, where's my W two? Yeah, you're, like, yeah, he should get a W two yeah. from Walmart. <laughs> All, all this oh, really, all this really no, does I mean, is 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 underscores the the fact that I got into the wrong business. You know, it's that it's those <laughs> it's those payments that you know that you have to pay for all those electronic transactions that someone somewhere is collecting. It's like the office 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 yeah, space. Yeah, exactly. Right. Just we'll just take a little off the top. Yeah, yeah every just, transaction. Just siphoning, yeah, just fractions of a penny. Fractions of a penny. Million. There you go. No, I mean. Um, no, I, I think that's a great call out. And, you know, that's those convenience fees and the credit card fees is one of the major reasons that, you know, I, we've seen such a lag in the business space going online versus the consumer space. Right. I mean, we I like almost everyone buys something on Amazon. Like, I feel like at this point, it's like at least once a month you're buying something on Amazon, um, <laughs> probably more frequently than that, honestly. 
and it's just it's it's so integrated into our lives um, that you know it's a massive piece, and that hasn't happened in the business world. I mean, we've just spent the past year, you know, doing these large PPE transactions, and it's it's you know, buddy calls buddy and generates an invoice or sends you like some sort of written document explaining how much you owe and when you owe it. And that's how business works. And a a large part of that is because of these convenience fees and those transaction fees. Um, And as we kind of figure out ways to avoid them and develop new, you know, literally develop new currencies, cryptocurrency, for example, or, or, you know, ACH transfers become more mainstream and um, automatable through, you know, just a general, e-commerce store owner, then now we can, now we have the tools to take business transactions online um, for the first time. And I would say that's relatively new over the past like year or potentially less. Entirely relevant that you bring up cryptocurrency since Coinbase went on the NASDAQ today. Yeah. 76 billion or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Yep. It is. It is. (laughs) I don't. I don't understand it. But why didn't okay. I think of exactly invisible currency? That's why I'm like, <laughs> it's it's like money, but it's invisible, and we can trace <laughs> it. So never shall you be able to pay your children ever again uh, <laughs> to mow the lawn. Why didn't I think of that? But, well, it's funny. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there in what you just said. But I mean, invisible money. I mean, we've had invisible money for years at this point. I mean, we, we used to back it with gold in Fort Knox. I mean, I'm no expert, but I highly doubt there's enough gold in Fort Knox to represent every physical dollar or physical dollar or electronic dollar transferring around. I think the fundamental difference is um, you have it, it's one computer system owned by the government, and they hold all of your transactional data and all the bank data versus a uh, versus a decentralized system where you don't have any one owner sitting in the middle. That's why the transactions are faster. It's, it's less regulated, faster transactions. It's uh, it's really cool technology. So as you've gotten into this, you know, business to business transactions, have you have you seen? Um you know, as a whole, the, the, the companies that you're working with, are they, are they eager to move into the online space and, you know, into these marketplaces like this, or are there still some that are very stuck kind of in a old school way of doing things? No, that's a, that's a great, that's a great question. One of the biggest challenges that we face and I've faced my whole actually career in computer science, um, has been, you know, legacy, um, legacy organizations not willing to transfer online, but it's pretty, it's getting pretty hard to say, you know, like imagine if you can tell someone you don't have to lift a finger and you can do a five, a half a million dollar or uh, yeah, half a million dollar transaction. I mean, that's pretty enticing. And so I think that as people kind of understand it more and actually see it, it even becomes less of a, you know, do I like the internet? Do I like technology? It's, do you like making money without lifting a finger? Like, yes, <laughs> you do. Um, and so why don't like, let's open up an e-commerce store for you. Huh? No, that's, that's interesting. So if, so is it, has it been, so those that you've kind of converted to this conversion to the, to the kind of online marketplace and these business, business transactions have, has it been a, you know, a, I don't know, 
Has it been an issue of salesmanship with regards to how do you establish that trust in the platform with them? Yeah, there is, there is an issue of how you establish that trust. And, you know, if, if you think about why, why do you need trust in these large B2B transactions? It's, it, there's a lot of money at stake. You don't know if the product is going to arrive and there, the payment and the contractual obligation are two completely separate things. And, you know, that actually works in the U.S., right, where we have a governing body. You know, we have court systems. If, you know, we can agree on it, something, and if you don't do it, like, I can sue you. Granted, that's massive pain in the ass, and no one wants to do that, but I, there, at least there's some recourse. When you get into international, and even and that, and that takes time. Like, it's still not a great – in the grand scheme of international dispute resolution, it's pretty good. But if you think about what, what you actually want, it's not even close, right? If, if someone doesn't give me what I what we all agreed to, I don't want to have to spend four months in court fighting to explain why why they, they owe me this or they don't owe me that or whatever it may whatever it may be. Now take this international, it's a whole other ball game. I mean, I, you can't even like you can't even get your money back. We heard we had tons of a lot of people actually came to PPE Exchange after they had had a terrible experience, you know, wiring someone in Malaysia a million dollars and never hearing back from them. And there's no way to hold them accountable. But this all boils down to this point I highlighted on earlier, which is there, and, and the trust point that you brought up, um, the contractual obligation and the payment are just two separate things. And by creating this kind of futuristic payment gateway, we're trying to tie the contractual obligation and the payment into one thing. And that, and that all boils down to automation. And so that's one of the major goals of our company going forward. I was going to say, I, I don't think you'd find, well, I don't know for sure, but you probably wouldn't find it as much U.S. US suppliers. Um, you're probably going to see that more overseas, I would assume, where, hey, they, you just gave me a million dollars. I was supposed, supposed to supply two million masks and good luck in getting them because I don't actually have them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, that rolls yeah. down to you guys, no... though, right, to to make sure that you vet your suppliers properly. Right, exactly. And we, we built in, we actually built in an automated escrowing system in our marketplace. Um, and so, you know, none of our suppliers were ever paid out until the products were delivered. Ooh. Good. Nice. So payment on delivery. 100% or is it like a 2080 yep. or something like that? I mean, it, w- it would be negotiated. Like, you know, each transaction is different, and we would allow the vendors to set up in their profile kind of what they expected as a down payment. We would basically enforce, and all every everyone's first transaction, the whole thing had to be fully escrowed the entire time, um, mm-hmm. no matter what. But, and, you know, the other thing is there, there's a risk that the suppliers are taking here, too, right? If they, they don't want to deliver the product to someone who's not going to pay them. Yeah. Um, so oh, they absolutely. have a risk here as well. And, that's the beauty of, you know, the escrow because they can get, you know, these, they get the proof of funds. We under, now we, we know the buyer is good for their money. Um, now the question is, is the supplier good for their product? And that takes a little bit longer to prove than, you know, verifying funds. You know, you just look at a number, you look at a bank account, you can essentially instantly verify if someone's good for their money. Um, if it's an escrow, but it's harder to do with the supplier because they actually have to deliver the product. So, you know, you put the money in escrow, wait for the product to be delivered and then, um, pay out the supplier. And basically we would, um, everyone, all suppliers when they join PPE exchange would have to go through their first transaction fully escrowed. And then after that, 
they could request um, a percentage on on order placement, a percentage on order shipment, and a percentage on order delivery. And you know, it may buyers want don't want to pay until it's delivered. Like a lot of these larger hospitals and um, things like that are, are operating on net terms or operating on that. They're not paying until they see the product and it's there. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we, we would, um, so you could set your payment terms to whatever you wanted, but you know, at the end of the day, it is a competitive marketplace and the buyers are sifting through and, you know, those who offer more flexible payment terms are going to get more business. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That makes, now, yeah, that but makes it's, it's, sense. But it's they're taking on more risk. So I, I would assume though, as you've been into your system for, a while, right? And, and you're either if you're the buyer, um, if you buy from the same supplier um, or manufacturer. I don't, do you deal with a supplier? Deal with manufacturers as well, direct manufacturers, because it's wholesale, right? Yes, yeah, we do. Okay, yep, we do. We deal with direct manufacturer and distributors. So the more those transactions happen over and over again, you know that tr- that's how that trust is really developed. I think so. Um, now, do you guys? When you guys say back to the business model again, real quick, when you guys say you guys charge a um, like a monthly service fee for this, is it mm-hmm. both from the buyer and the supplier slash manufacturer, or is it just one of the sides that pays to play, or what? It's just it's it's just the supply. So in PPE exchange, it's totally free to join the network. In PPE exchange, that business model, we took a transaction fee um, in those transactions, and we realized going forward that that's not the best way to grow um, B2B payment technology because the fees are the whole, like a massive part of the problem. And um, so the, so the, the vendor actually pays these fees and the, you can actually make, you make your money back really quickly in avoiding credit card fees. So if you pay, you know, like we we're going to charge, we charge $200 a month. And so, with that $200 a month charge, if you do over $15,000 in transaction, 2.9% of 15,000 is, is roughly $200. And so pretty quickly you can make back your money. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. So, yeah by most, not paying transaction fees. Even a, a mom and pop shop typically should be doing more than $15,000 a month in sales. Absolutely. Um, exactly. So how do, how do people get a hold of you guys? How do they join the network and, and all of the above? I mean, you guys have a website, I assume, someplace, because you are e-commerce. There's probably a website. Yep. What's your guys' website address? Yeah, so P, so PPE Exchange, the company that, that verifies suppliers and connects them with hospitals, that is, it's literally just www.ppe.exchange um, is the website. And then the payment gateway is, is being called Mercero, and that's at Mercero.com, M-E-R-C-E-R-O. Mercero.com, payment gateway. Yep. And that, you know, that product is still um, under development. We're going to be going live with that uh, and integrating that with our vendor solutions in the next two to three weeks here. Oh, excellent. Nice. Okay. So I'm assuming your guys' contact information is on, on one or both of these websites? Um, yes, my contact information is on PP Exchange would be the main website um, for now. Okay. Excellent. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure. Um, you guys have taught me a lot. Um, oh, absolutely. 
keep in mind, I am looking for software developers. So if you guys uh, <laughs> need to do something on the side, let me know. You guys are hard to come by. <laughs> Will do. And and you software developers have yeah. a tendency to run together like little, you know, like flocks. So uh, if you got any fr- <laughs> if you got any friends that are good developers, uh, let us know. Yes. I do. Um, I do. And, and I'll keep that in mind. I'm going to give the uh, the shameless plug again for our own podcast here. So uh, for anybody that's out there listening in the podcast land, if you guys want, uh, tell us about your friends, family, businesses, big businesses, small businesses, whatever. Uh, we're always interested in talking with you on air, on the show, and getting you uh, heard around the world. Um, we have uh, kind of exploded in the past year, if you will, a good explosion uh, of listenership. So, uh, that's always a good thing. And, uh, we are always uh, in the market for, uh, sponsorships as well. So if anybody's out there looking a place to dump some of their hard earned cash, uh, you know, keep us afloat as a nonprofit. We're, uh, we're Nate, always there. Nate will gladly take it. That's right. Uh, we're trying to make the show better and better. And we're trying to reach out farther and farther and help people, um, merge people together. We have released the smallest 2.0. So if you go out to the smallest 2.0, you can join and be part of the smalls family. So with that, I appreciate your guys' time again. Thank you, Chris, for being in the office here with me. Absolutely. And, uh, gentlemen on the phone, Chad and Russ, thank you guys for, uh, joining the show. And, uh, with that, this is just Nate signing off. Thanks for listening. listening. You've reached the end of another episode of the Smallest Cast podcast. Connect with us at thesmallest.org. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive our free materials. See you at the next episode. See you at the next episode.